Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on Sojourner Truth, forests are considered, indeed they are, the lungs of the world. But as the world spirals deeper into what increasing numbers of scientists and environmentalists are calling a climate emergency, threats to forests from logging to climate change are rampant around the world, from the Amazon to the Congo to Indonesia to the United States. Indeed, in some parts of the world, forests have pretty much been decimated. The survival of our life on our planet is at growing risk. Folks, this impacts us all wherever we are. Today, we discuss an effort in the United States to create the nation's first climate reserve in Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois. Let us go to a clip now of the late indigenous elder Barney Bush. His nation was based in Southern Illinois. Let's go to hear his voice now. To this day, when I see those coal trucks going past my house down by Herod, even when I see the big trucks taking the last of the big grandfathers, the timber from the forest, big trees, that hurts. That hurts in a way that probably... I hate to say this, but, but probably only other natives or environmentalists can understand how that hurts, because I think that everyone here is attached somehow or another to the sanctity of the earth. There is something holy about it, and you know it. You feel it. It's in your, it's in your eyes, it's in your heart, and it's in your voice. To just say simply that I feel this way because I'm native is not true. I feel this way because I am a human being who was raised by the forest, who was raised by the, the lightning and the thunder and the rainwater and the wind. People say that maybe sounds odd to say that you were raised that way or in proper English reared that way. No, it's not odd at all. Those were my ancestors. Those are my relatives now as we speak. Wow. Powerful words by the late elder Barney Bush, who grew up and his nation indeed was based in the area of Southern Illinois that we will be discussing today. Indeed, the earth is sacred. We feel it. Our guests today are two leaders of the effort to create the nation's first climate reserve, John Wallace and Karen Fraley, both with the Shawnee Forest Defense. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. President Joe Biden is set to tour damaged areas of California, including hard-hit Santa Cruz County today. In the wake of devastating and deadly storms that have thrashed the state in the last three weeks, at least 20 people have died. Destruction has been reported across 41 of California's 58 counties. 
The countdown towards a possible government default is in the offing. Frictions between President Joe Biden and House Republicans are raising alarms about whether the U.S. can sidestep a potential economic crisis. The Treasury Department projects a federal government will reach its legal borrowing capacity today. It's an artificially imposed cap that lawmakers have increased roughly 80 times since the 1960s. The government can temporarily rely on accounting tweaks to stay open. That means any threats to the economy are several months away. Republicans are demanding spending reductions. That could impact Social Security and Medicare, something the Biden administration rejects. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is calling for more speed in sending military aid to Ukraine. He spoke to the meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland Wednesday. Christopher Martinez reports. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the forum by video, speaking four days after a deadly attack that killed civilians in the city of Dnipro. And then Wednesday, a Ukrainian helicopter crash near a kindergarten killed a child, a cabinet minister, and the interior minister's leadership team. Zelensky said his speech would be short, because time is short. Tragedies are outpacing life. The tyranny is outpacing the democracy. Russia needed less than one second to start the war. The world needed days to react with first sanctions. The time the free world uses to think is used by the terrorist state to kill. Zelensky's speech comes as Ukraine is making an urgent push for new high-tech military aid. The supply of Ukraine with air defense systems must outpace Russia's next missile attacks. The U.S. is preparing a massive military aid package totaling $2.6 billion that will likely include Stryker and Bradley armored personnel carriers. I'm Christopher Martinez. Mayors of medium to large cities across the country are gathering in Washington, D.C. for the annual Conference of Mayors, where they outline policies to push for and hailed recent bipartisan legislation for funding infrastructure projects, then made a call for stronger gun control measures. Catherine Carley reports. Mayors from across the U.S. are gathered in Washington, D.C. to share strategies on how to reduce gun deaths, hold gun manufacturers accountable, and implore Congress to act. Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Ganey says improving the lives of impoverished young parents will help better protect their children from gun violence. Civil rights was not based on a whole lot of different things. It was based on the movement of humanity. We need the same type of advocacy right now when it comes to dealing with this whole gun culture. I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. They also held a panel on hate crimes and extremism. It comes in the wake of a Republican's arrest for hiring hitmen to conduct drive-by shootings in New Mexico of his political opponents. Max Pringle reports. Experts say disinformation, particularly online, has been the primary driver of a lot of extremism. They said disinformation and conspiracy theories around the COVID vaccine, election results, and school curricula have had a big negative influence. Among the invited experts was Mary McCord. She's a professor of law at Georgetown and director of the university's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. She said online hate speech has been a driver for much of the recent spike in hate, but she added that all too often elected officials can stoke extremism as well. We've continued to see extremists basically use disinformation, some generated by them, some generated by influencers, social media influencers, 
influencers, cable news influencers, and even sadly elected members of Congress um, and uh, you know high-level elected officials. FBI statistics show religious and ethnic minorities, immigrants, and the LGBTQ community have all experienced a rise in hate incidents targeting them. I'm Max Pringle. Solomon Pena appeared in court yesterday after his arrest for allegedly conspiring drive-by shootings on Democrats in New Mexico. He was held without bail. A new report says a Republican candidate who lost by a landslide in the November election and claimed it was rigged had a felony record where he served years in prison. Activists took to the streets in Atlanta last night after police shot and killed a tree sitter who was defending a near 400-acre forest from being bulldozed to make way for Cop City, a large-scale training facility for police. People chanted, no Cop City, no justice, no peace. The police claim the tree sitter shot at a state trooper who was now in the intensive care unit, and they fired back in self-defense, killing him. But activists say the police narrative can't be trusted. Because they're just going to tell you whatever will justify what they have already done. It's important that the people who care about this political movement not allow themselves to be deterred, discouraged, and intimidated by police attacks, by uh, excessive charges, terrorism charges and indeed by police killings of activists in this movement. Some six other activists were arrested for terrorism charges. Activists are also calling for Atlanta City officials to stop building Cop City in Atlanta's largest forest preserve. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. As we just heard in that news headline, it seems forest defenders are facing increasing violence. We hear about that in terms of the Amazon and other parts. But now, right outside of Chicago, you have a tree sitter who was shot and killed by the police. Now, forests are instrumental in capturing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and release oxygen. They are considered the lungs of the planet. The Amazon rainforest in Brazil generates about 20% of the world's oxygen. 10,000 years ago, 57% of the world's habitable land was covered by forests. That's 6 billion hectares. Today, only 4 billion hectares are left. The world has lost one-third of its forests, an area twice the size of the United States. And in the U.S., forests face challenges that threaten their health and their existence. The greatest threat to U.S. forests is deforestation, either through illegal logging or large-scale commercial agriculture. Other threats to forests include catastrophic wildfires, insect and disease outbreaks, which uh, many say increasingly are related to climate change, invasive species, housing developments, forest fragmentation, and drought. The Shawnee National Forest is located in southern Illinois. It encompasses 289,000 acres, an area in southern Illinois stretching from the Mississippi River to the Ohio River, and it contains some of the most ecologically uh, biodiverse areas in the United States. Now, three decades ago, in the summer of 1990, activists from Earth First occupied the Fairview Timber Sales site in the Shawnee Forest 
which is located in Southern Illinois. They did this for 79 days. I've heard 90 days, but let's say 79, using their bodies to block the logging equipment and using legal strategies to challenge the harvesting of the lumber in court. The historic action has come to be known as the Shawnee Showdown. This relatively small group of activists were successful in stopping commercial logging in Shawnee National Forest for 17 years. Imagine how many trees were saved during that time. But sadly, logging is back in Shawnee. And currently, thousands of acres at the Shawnee National Forest are scheduled for logging operations. Shawnee is managed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that allows logging on public lands. The fight to save the Shawnee Forest continues today with the most recent attempt by local organizers to transfer the Shawnee National Forest out of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's control and into the hands of the U.S. Department of Interior with a proposal that would establish Shawnee as a national park and designate it as the nation's first climate reserve. So we are going to be discussing all of this with our guests who are local activists on this cause. But first, let us go to a clip from a film that reflected the fight from the early 1990s that managed to stop logging in Shawnee for close to 90 days. It's called Shawnee Showdown, Keep the Forest Standing. Let's go to that clip now. The vast majority of people will never be able to afford to have a place like this themselves. You know, you don't want to subsidize the ones that cut the trees. You want to subsidize the people that grow the trees. And this is public land. Shawnee has much better uses than to go in and completely destroy the forest. They truck tons of hardwood out of the Shawnee National Forest. The Wilderness Society, which has done its own version of Teespers, says the Shawnee lost nearly $1.3 million in a comparable year. Clear cutting, they cut um, everything down. Yeah, so we just thought, well, we'll just sit down in the middle of the logging road, and if they want to come through, they're going to have to go through us. And at some point, you just have to, as Edward Abbey had, had said, draw a line in the sand and say, thus far and no farther. non-violent, but to speak out as citizens of Jackson County in the United States. Those of you who have the commitment, you best be ready to go to jail. Thank you all for coming. Please stay and fight. Please stay and fight. I would now like to welcome our guests who were involved in that struggle. John Wallace, a co-founding member of Shawnee Forest Defense, a longtime environmental activist and forest defender. He was one of the key people in the 1990s Shawnee National Forest occupation to oppose logging. John, who was a tree sitter, put his body on the line in front of bulldozers. He has trained himself to do legal work involved with forest defense, even though he doesn't have a law degree. John has also writes papers and gives testimony before various government agencies. Uh, John Wallace, welcome back to Sojourner Truth. Margaret, thank you for having me. 
And John, hearing the sad news about the tree sitter who was shot and killed outside of Chicago, we are so grateful that you didn't meet such a fate as a tree sitter. So, John, glad that you are with us. I would also like to welcome uh, Karen Fraley. She is a retired horticulturist from Southern Illinois University. She has been an environmental activist for over 30 years and is a founding member and co-director of Shawnee Forest Defense. Her interests in plants arose from a deep connection with the natural world that began in childhood, mushroom hunting with her grandmother. As time passed, she realized that understanding all the parts that make up a forest, not just the plants, helps one understand the whole. Where I'd really like to start the discussion, John and Karen, is about the life in the forest, the interrelated life of the trees within the forest. It's now discovered that they have all kinds of underground connections and just the importance to the planet. Karen, are you there now? I am, Margaret. Thank you for inviting me today. Okay, thank you, Karen. I think it's the first time you are on our show as a guest, so we're delighted to have you. And Karen, I remember being in Southern Illinois. Part of how I, I fell in love with the terrain in Southern Illinois, I took a nature walk with you. I can't remember where it was, and you knew so much. It seems about every inch of um, what was going on um, from the trees to the to the moss, etc. So um, we're glad to be able to have you. And Karen, actually, I would like to start with you on that front uh, to talk about the interrelationship of trees, the interrelationship of um, the forest community. They have a whole underground connection. Karen, tell us a bit what you know about that. Thank you, Margaret. You know, as a little girl going out in the woods with my granny, you know, looking close to the earth for the mushrooms, when we didn't find mushrooms, I was looking at the snails and, you know, she was, of course, afraid of snakes, but looking for snakes and turtles and and the wildflowers. And it began a lifelong love. And over the years, I can remember with my position at the university leading tours of students through a greenhouse and helping them understand that the world is more just the plants that they were studying for their degree. It's when you look out into the wide world, you hear the birds that live there, you see the plants that grow on the the forest floor, you look at the rocks, you see the the soils and the moisture and the the of course, the mushrooms and fungus, and the you lift up the dead branches, that, which are adding, and the dead trunks, and you they're adding to the, they're building new life, and you see all the little creatures that live within them, and it opens your eyes and your mind to that we're a part of all this large connection that makes up our earth. Yes, mm-hmm. and even when we moved over here further deep into the forest and we had a sweet gum tree outside of our house and I'm like oh those sweet gum balls those are a pain in the butt you have to you trip on them you have to pick them up all the time and then I realized when the goldfinches come in the winter they eat sweet gum seeds and it plays an important part in 
the circle of life. And then I started seeing Luna moths. And then I started seeing caterpillars that I learned were Luna moth caterpillars and that the Luna moths lay their eggs on sweet gum trees leaves and their caterpillars eat that. And when you clean up and sweep up the leaves under your trees, you're destroying those um, cocoons of those Luna moths for the next year. And it's in, and it just every little piece like that opens up your world further and further, right? And and showing the interconnectedness of of all things. And and John, increasingly, people are now paying attention to the Canadian forest ecologist Susan Simard. I I read her book, Finding the Mother Tree. It's now been reviewed by some of the major print journalist, New York Times, Guardian, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, etc. But when she started out um, making the claim from her observations that trees and forests are interdependent with fungi mycelium, I think is, is the name of it, and, and how they communicate with each other and how they help each other and that in fact there is a mother tree that plays a major role but it's really discovering a whole network among trees of communication and of uh, of of protecting each other uh john just tell us a bit about that because here you for decades now you have been involved in trying to save uh shawnee national forest stop the logging etc but um People have to realize that the life that goes on inside the forest, John Wallace. You know, Margaret, Suzanne Simard's research was so groundbreaking. It reflects the bigger picture of literally how little we understand of the natural world. And to think that this incredible network of uh, mycorrhizal fungi are transferring nutrients from the mother tree to smaller trees, trees that are stressed, trees of different species, the entire concept of forestry is, is, is developed based on competition, that all plants are in competition with each other. Well, this her research just, just blows that concept out of the water. It, it's so groundbreaking. It is so important um, uh, to understand um, uh, how little we actually understand and how the natural world help, you know, repairs itself. Uh, we can't do uh, near the, the job that nature can do to, uh, um, you know, to adapt and, and to help each other out. You know, it, it, it is just um, fascinating. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I regularly am thankful for Suzanne and, and that research. Absolutely. And John and Karen, I'll, I'll bet that this interrelationship, we now have the evidence happens in forests. But my guess, it happens really all over the place, including in deserts. I mean, you have the creosote bush in the uh, California uh, uh, desert, the Mojave uh, Desert. And uh, some of them are 10,000 years old, and they likely also have an underground uh, system. But um, before we discuss further, I'd like to play a clip 
from Sam Stearns, who is a colleague of yours. And I remember talking to Sam, uh, who at one time was a coal miner and is now a deep environmentalist. Let's just hear uh, this clip from Sam Stearns right now. I'm with an organization, Friends of Elsmith Springs, and I'm a local yokel here. Uh, live about 40 miles from Carbondale. How long have you been involved with forest issues? Well, I've been involved with the forest for my entire life. But as far as with the, uh, the, the various controversies, the various threats that are affecting our forest, it's been uh, probably, uh, I don't know, more, more than 25 years uh, the, the first place I went out of high school was to forestry uh, school, to a two-year industrial forestry school. And I, I went the first year and took uh, botany and dendrology and forest soils and surveying and, because I just wanted to work in the forest. And then when I looked at the curriculum for the next year, it was basically logging, 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 and logging. It was all about chainsaws and heavy equipment. And I got to reassessing uh, the the uh, forestry program itself as well as my own values and I realized that uh, I did not want my relationship with the forest to be one of extracting things from the forest I wanted uh, to uh, to I, I value the forest for amenities that are like just regenerating my spirit and making me more physically and mentally healthy and uh, in those days, I was probably more concerned with myself, with the benefits I like that, those amenities that I was getting from the forest. And in the years since, I've come to appreciate the forest for itself. And I realize that uh, whether I'm here or not, that forest is far more important than I am. And uh, not not just to me, but but to you know to people and to all the creatures that inhabit it, from the mycorrhizal fungi down in the soil to the uh, insects and the tip tops of the trees. Right there, you go. And I think Sam says very well, Karen and John, about why you all are involved in this fight. Now, I'd like for us to just talk a little bit about before we go to station break about um, the area of Southern Illinois and about. Uh, Shawnee National Forest in and of itself. Now, I first met you all when I went to a, converge, uh, a, a convergence about forests in uh, southern Illinois and just absolutely fell in love with the area, really impressed with the work and organizing that you all have done and you continue to do. But give our listeners a, a kind of a bird's eye view about the terrain of Shawnee. John, we start with you. Sure, Margaret. The Shawnee is in the, the southern tip of Illinois. We live farther south than the majority of people in Kentucky, for instance. It is at the intersection of five different uh, physiographic regions that, that collide in one area. The uh, southern till plain, the great prairies that, that uh, Illinois is named after the prairie state, um, come down to the northern uh, edge of the Shawnee. Um, on the uh, on the west side of the Shawnee, we have the Ozark Plateau, um, and in the Mississippi floodplain, we have this massive floodplain uh, before you uh, uh, hit the Mississippi River. Then, as you as you travel eastward, uh, you come into the Shawnee Hills, which is predominantly sandstone um, 
hills. Um, uh, there are steep uh, ravines and waterfalls and and uh, uh, and whatnot. Where on the on the Ozark Plateau side, it is um, limestone uh, deposits primarily. Um, and uh, and then to the south, we have the uh, coastal plain reaching in where the swamps of from the south, the Cypress Tupelo swamps. Uh, more commonly associated with Georgia and Florida, um, actually reach into the southern tip of Illinois. All of those natural divisions collide in the Shawnee National Forest. And when you consider its central location in North America, the amount, the large amount of rainfall that we, of annual rainfall that we receive, and the mild weather, it really uh, allows for what are considered productive forests, meaning that there's a lot of photosynthesis that takes place in the Shawnee. And so that that creates a lot of uh, biodiversity. We have um, northern species that the ex southern extent of their range is in the Shawnee. We have the same with southern species, with western and with eastern species. So it's a, it's a very biodiverse area, uh, you know, both hilly and and lowland areas. Right, and thank you for that, John. And Karen, um, Freely, just, um, I, I recall uh, visiting you all and you kind of pointing out an ancient indigenous uh, site. Now, we know, of course, Native Americans have lived all across um, what they call Turtle Island. We call the United States for who knows how long that's being challenged, including in uh, Southern Illinois and uh, with roots uh, clearly embedded in the lands known as Shawnee National Forest at the top of the hour. I played a clip from the uh, late indigenous elder uh, Barney Bush, whom you all know and, and you all had worked with. But also, Karen, uh, Southern Illinois, in a way very different from Northern Illinois. People think of Illinois, you think of the big cities like Chicago. But Southern Illinois, it's an impoverished area. It also has a history of being sundown towns in some areas. That means that Black folks had to get out right before uh, before sundown. It's, it's now uh, becoming increasingly racially mixed. But uh, just uh, you know, tell us about the work that you're doing to preserve our Shawnee in this context of its history with indigenous peoples, but also the kind of response that you're getting from the local community, Karen. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, we, you know, our proposal to transfer the Shawnee National Forest into the Department of Interior and become a national park and climate preserve kind of combines two missions. Um, first, the climate preserve and the preservation and conservation of our the forests and the lands, but also encompassing the people who live here and the economic benefits to our region down here, what we call between the rivers at the confluence of the Ohio Mississippi River. Um, we just put together some economic statistics and there are 11 counties within this um, Shawnee region, as we call it. And six of those 11 counties have poverty rates of 20% of the population or higher. And two of those counties, Alexander County, where Cairo is down at the confluence of the Ohio Mississippi, its poverty rate is 27%. 
and um, another, the lowest in, or the highest in the state. And Jackson County, actually where Carbondale and Southern Illinois University is, is the next highest level of poverty at 25%. And we have communities, both black and white across Southern Illinois that need um, a helping hand in terms of folks having a reason to stay in their hometowns and on their home farms. And the economic benefits that a national park and the nation's first climate preserve could bring to the folks who live here and have their roots and want to keep their families here and have been here for maybe 150 years are priceless. And that's one of our goals is to help not just the land, but the people who call the land home. Right. Did I answer your question? Yes, yes, you did. And we're actually going to need to pause there and take a station break so other stations also have a chance to identify themselves. But we are going to uh, continue this discussion. And, and Karen, it is noted that moving from an area known to have sundown towns to after the murder of George Floyd, there were several protests in towns across southern Illinois. And I think that speaks to uh, the changes uh, that are happening there. But stay with us. Um, John and Karen will remain with us and we'll continue our discussion right after the station break. And that is one of my favorites, the late, great Bob Marley chased those crazy ball heads out of town. And that's just about what our guests were involved in doing is chasing loggers out of town when they did the what is now a nationally known occupation in Shawnee National Forest. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we welcome our listeners on all of the Pacifica flagship stations and affiliate stations around the country. And we are also on Facebook. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram at So True Radio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud in the United States. We'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners across Southern Illinois and internationally. We would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners uh, in Ireland. Uh, our guests today are John Wallace, Karen Freely. They are both um, deep environmentalists involved in protecting uh, the forest. They are with Shawnee Forest uh, Defense, and they uh, have been involved in this fight for several decades now. What I'd like to do now is to go to a short clip um, from Renee Cook, also a colleague of yours, a local in Southern Illinois. And earlier in the show, for those who are just joining us, we talked about in the summer of 1990, how activists occupied the Fairview uh, timber sale site using their bodies to block uh, logging equipment. And they managed to stop uh, logging in Shawnee for 17 years. Let's hear that clip from Renee right now. 
Renee, are you from around town? Yeah, I live here in, in rural Jackson County. I've always lived out in the country since I moved down here. Well, tell me, uh, have you been involved in the forest movement? <laughs> yes, I have. Explain. Well, my involvement started with the forest movement in uh, about 88. Started learning that there was a, um, the forests were about to be set, up, be set upon by the industry. And we didn't know much about that in those days. But we learned quickly, and uh, some of my compadres were going the legal route, and um, we decided in 89 to be a support to the Fairview timber sale, and we set up a 90-day encampment. We didn't know it would be 90 days at that time, and we sat on that forest trail, entrance into the sale, and did our best to prevent it from being logged. So the uh, the encampment lasted 90 days, is that correct? I think 89, but we ground it to 90, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that was really kind of a seminal moment in, in, in forest history. Uh, there was a lot of news coverage around it as the legal efforts were going on in court. So explain, what, what were you trying to do when you were sitting on that logging road? Initially, we were trying to support the efforts of the legal teams that were working to, with, to get injunctions with uh, the courts, and I'm not real good at remembering the details of that. I just know that we were, on one level, we were supporting them, on another, we were trying to bring attention to the devastation that was about to happen. You know, we were starting to understand that it wasn't just some trees getting cut, but it was our environment being impacted. And that was what, 30 some odd years ago. All righty. And uh, the voice of, of Renee Cook again. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And our guests are John Wallace and Karen Fraley, who are with Shawnee Forest Defense. And uh, they have a whole campaign going on to create the first climate preserve in the United States. Uh, but John, let's start with you. You were uh, part of this protest here. And a lot of people think, well, Earth First, you remember hearing some things about Earth First uh, back in the 90s, but they're still active. I mean, just, I think it was yesterday, the day before, uh, we did a segment of some Earth Firsters in California um, who were uh, protecting a tree where eagles were nesting. And and the local utility company wanted to cut it down. But um, your protest that you did did wind up making national news and it, it established a kind of a, a precedent of, of sorts. And from what Renee says, John, you could clarify because we've had different times and reports that we've read. Was it 90 days? Just tell us um, the significance, the importance, the impact that you think um, that protest had, John. Margaret, it was it was amazing. Um, we set up the first Earth First uh, blockade um, on a, 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 a timber sale site um, in 1990. Um, you know, we it, it was amazing. Eventually, people climbed trees, people buried themselves in the logging road. Um, you know, people sat down in front of bulldozers. Um, attach themselves to log skitters. 
uh, you know, people just refused to move. One gentleman was even run over by a, a logger's pickup truck. It was an incredible movement that really captured, I think, uh, a lot of the interest of, of people, not just in the region, but but across the nation, because, you know, this was happening uh, um, all over. And, you know, at one point we had photographers and, and uh, newspaper television crews that were actually camping in, you know, at the at the gate of the uh, um, the, the timber sale, um, you know, just waiting to catch a story when. You know, when the U.S. Forest Service went in and the logging company went in. And what was so amazing about that is, is like Renee said, you know, we were we were trying to help our um, our fellow activists with a litigation, a pro se litigation, trying to stop this in in the appellate court. And when the when the logging company finally went in, at the the last day, then the very next day, the appellate court, the Seventh Circuit in Chicago, issued an injunction uh, pending the appeal um, on the timber sale. So we we actually succeeded in delaying it until the courts uh, did actually rule on the merits of a case. And and as Renee also said, during that time, we an important component was educating people about what was going on why we were here what we're about to lose what uh, um why it's such a crisis and so it, it became a um a national issue i think because of all those components absolutely and karen uh there is now um a film uh, about uh this struggle shawnee showdown keep the forest standing uh tell us about that film because it has you know, met um, much acclaim and also for people who want to see the film, what they should do. Karen. Thank you, Margaret. I'll touch on the last question first. The filmmaker, retired cinema professor, Kate Bursell, did an amazing job of telling a story that she was not here when it happened. She only learned about it about five years ago, five, six years ago. She put four years into making this film, Shawnee Showdown, Keep the Forest Standing. And as I, um, it isn't out yet for um, general consumption, she's still working on at different film festivals. It's played in um, three or four film festivals already. You can go to our website, shawneeforestdefense.org, and see the clip that we heard earlier and keep an eye and subscribe. And you'll learn when we occasionally we have online screenings that virtual screenings that you can sign up for. And we're going to try to get it this year available to the public on a regular basis. I am not in the film, but I lived across the road and land and I saw everything happen. Kate did an amazing job of telling the story. What happened with that event is John didn't say this, but local folks, farmers, a gentleman who hauled water for a living for other people, they all came together and helped these activists who were camped out there. People you wouldn't guess would be involved, would stop by and drop sandwiches or or they'd bake a, a pan of cookies and drop them by or deliver water for nothing or drop $100 in the kitty. John and some of the others were always out in front 
engaging and talking to people. I was so impressed. To be honest, I was nervous when I heard Earth First had come to our neck of the woods, but I ended up walking down. I baked a blueberry pie and took it down and introduced myself and um, invited them to come and, you know, come to our home and thank them for taking the stand and putting their actual bodies on the line to protect the forest that we loved. That is just such a wonderful uh, story, uh, Karen, and you are still at it now. Um, What I'd I'd like to uh, get to now is to discuss a bit about why you want this change, why you want the Department of Interior uh, now uh, to manage Shawnee National Forest and not the USDA Forest Service. What are some of the things that the Forest Service are doing wrong, uh, basically? That's one question. And and the other uh, part of that question is to give us a bit more detail about exactly what you're demanding and why. Um, so let's see, John, you want to start with what the Forest Service, what, what's the problem with them? The problem is the mission of the U.S. Forest Service, and it is in, located again in the Department of Agriculture, is to uh, sustain the diversity and health of the forest for productivity. And, and they are mandated to produce a product. Um, so we have we have used litigation litigation over and over again to the point of of where litigation serves an important role it it delays the process but it doesn't stop the fact that the USDA Forest Service is going to cut timber they're going to uh, uh, drill for oil and gas um, and they're going to uh, allow mining to take place on our public lands that is what they do you know and and we have a um, um, a uh, the National Park Service in the Department of Interior, whose mission is to preserve unimpaired the natural and cultural resources for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations. What a um, it, it just it, it makes sense. We're to the point. It's it's a positive step, and and we know that if we have success uh, in courts in the court system, that eventually the Forest Service is still going to cut trees. It's what they do. And let's let's move to an agency that is much better at, at recognizing the importance of, of preserving an area for the benefit of the most people over the over the long run. And so that combined with a crisis, the, the emergency, it's not, a, it's beyond a crisis. It's an emergency, this climate emergency. It is all around us. People are dying. Ecosystems are dying. We have to take drastic action. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report made it very clear in 2018 that we had until 2030 to correct, to correct our, our, problems with greenhouse gas emissions in, in, into the atmosphere. And the biggest greenhouse gas emission is carbon dioxide, comes from the burning of fossil fuels. And, and they recognize we have to get our the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere lowered. The only way we can lower that is through natural processes called sequestration, where where plants and, and, and actually in the oceans, phytoplankton, are, um, but, but on land, plants 
photosynthesize and and capture carbon dioxide and store it. And a lot of it they store underground. Some they store in their um, in their plant structures. But that's what we need. To, we need to protect these. We need to increase the amount that we have, and we need to do it by 2030. So the the target was we have to protect 30 percent of the Earth's surface and water in natural state uh, by 2030. And um, you know we're we're now over four years into in, into this deadline. We've got seven more years to straighten this up, and all we've done is broken records as human beings in, in civilization. We've, we've broken records on the amount of carbon dioxide that are in the atmosphere. Now we're at about 420 parts per million. We have to get it down to 350. The only way we can do that is, is through protecting natural ecosystems. And, and so this climate preserve just seemed like a, a, an important role. And since we since we proposed the National Park and Climate Preserve, we've had endorsements. We've had a, an endorsement from the Illinois Audubon Society, which is the oldest conservation organization in the state of Illinois. It was founded in 1897 of support. And we have the city of Carbondale. And the irony of this is just really, to me, it's, it's, it's a, an intriguing story. The city of Carbondale was named after the... The uh, in the 1850s, um, all the coal mines in the area, you know, and, and here the city of Carbondale issued a um, um, uh, a resolution that stated specifically now that that Carbondale City Council is committed to combating climate change and adopted a sustainability action plan, and that they completely support redesignating the Shawnee National Forest. And, uh, you know, here's the, um, you know, they support sequestering carbon, the city of Carbondale. Um, and so we're on a, um, a campaign to get as many local um, government uh, governments to support us, lawmakers to support us as we can, uh, and hopefully introduce legislation in Congress um, uh, relatively soon to establish a first climate preserve. And then hopefully that will be um, a motivator for having climate preserves around the country. Uh, that is, yeah. that's so exciting, uh, John. Um, certainly, I, you know, hopefully it will get through and hopefully it'll be the first of, of many. I'm looking at the clock though. Uh, Karen, we've got just about three minutes left. Um, uh, and I, I want our listeners to know how they could support um, your efforts. But also in the film, there was something that John said that quite struck me. He says, you know, you need to don't subsidize people who are cutting the forest. You subsidize people who are growing the trees or something like that, taking care of the forest. And it quite struck me because I'm part of a movement that's calling a global movement, calling for a care income for those who care for the land, but who also care for the environment, including uh, people like you who care for the, for the trees. Um, 
you know, and, and the forest. So, uh, Karen, I just wondered uh, your thoughts about that, because so many subsidies, whether it's food going to this big, um, you know, big agro agribusiness, as opposed to small farmers or going to loggers where the Forest Service is allowing uh, loggers to come in and uh, and log the forest where they're where they the loggers are going to be making uh, profits. Uh, Karen, just some final thoughts from you on all this and include, please, how people can support your efforts. Karen Fraley. Thank you, Margaret. Um, so what we have Sorry, learned I'm here not sure about that. with the Shawnee just in the last couple of years, the, as the logging has begun again, that the logging industry, it's the people on the ground, the workers, there are very few, and most of them are from out of state. I believe John and Sam observed several logging sites on the Shawnee in the last year or two where it was a one or two man operation taking down thousands of trees because of the mechanization. And then the trees, most of them went to Missouri to be ground up for livestock and chicken bedding. Our mature pine forests that were preserving the soil and planted in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and all the way up into the 70s, are now being logged and ground up for chicken feed in that or chicken bedding, and that soil is now exposed again to be eroded once again. The economics of that kind of thing with the Department of Agriculture is just um, unacceptable in this day and age. What we've realized is the the Forest Service is a, one of those giant ships that moves very, very slowly, and they aren't considering our climate crisis in the least. And to learn more about what we're doing, um, we have a website, shawneeforestdefense.org. And if you visit that website, it has a place to subscribe. There's an email address, which I monitor that and answer everybody. There um, are letters to uh, sample letters to senators and representatives, not just ours, but across the nation, because this change that we're working so hard to make happen will require an act of Congress. So or we have a place to sign on. I think it's the Progressive Democrats of America have a sign-on letter that will go to your local re U.S. representative and senator. Uh, John, can you think of anything else right now? That's on we there? have a petition that, yes. that you can online. sign online. Alrighty. Well, a lot going on there and please continue to keep us posted. By the way, our show, we would like to do what we can if we could in any way support any online screening of the film Shawnee Showdown, Keep the Forest uh, Standing. It's such a great example of a, a relatively small group of people, local grassroots uh, folks and the success that you had. So we appreciate your efforts. We, we hope a climate pre Reserve. The first in the United States uh, does happen. Uh, John Wallace, Karen Fraley, thank you so very much for joining us. It's thank been you. an honor. Yes. Thank you, Margaret. 
Right. We also, by the way, want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project because they were one of the organizers, along with the Indigenous Environmental Network, organizing the convergence on forests where I first met this crew. We are out of time, so I'm going to have to leave it there. If you, I'd like today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our board op for today, uh, Gary Baca. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 7350230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Um, Sojourner Truth will be back on the air um, tomorrow for our weekly roundtable. You won't want to miss that. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Stay tuned for continuing programming and you all please stay well and safe.